You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Good morning. We made it. Week two. Yeah, that's right. And excited by that. So we made it. Week two. It's good. Yeah, yes. And still excited. Um, my name is Steve Gray, and it is, it is really good to have you here this morning. Um, we're going to, we have a podcast. I'll let you know about the podcast because we're going to be continuing on in a series every week in the book of Matthew. And uh, if you don't know what the Bible is, um, it is seriously super simple but super profound at the same time. It is a collection of stories, poems, prophetic writing, all leading to this one point in the Bible and then what happened after that one point in the Bible, and it focuses around Jesus. And so Matthew, the book we're in, is just eyewitness accounts of some things Jesus did. There was this guy, he came, he was doing some pretty crazy things, his teaching was incredible, the wisdom was amazing, we still, Western civilization is still based around, whether you believe in him or not, is based around his teaching, and he's still picking things out, like this morning, that are relevant for us today, and that we believe he was God, in human form, and so we want to read about him, the stuff he said, and the passage we're in is in this, the longest unbroken text of Jesus preaching to a massive crowd on the side of a hill or side of a mountain, Sermon on the Mount, and, he, uh, and we're going through that together as a church. So if you want to uh, get the back catalogue and catch up, Burley Church of Christ on iTunes, and you can have a listen to where we've been journeying through the book of Matthew. But basically last week, if I could recap, Jesus standing on the side of this mountain and he says this kind of offensive thing that would have had the crowd murmuring. He says, um, they would have been, oh, what did he just say? And I, he said, he goes, unless your righteousness exceeds a Pharisee or a scribe, Basically, you're not good enough. And we said last week, it's kind of like standing me standing up here going, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be kinder than Mother Teresa or smarter than the, the best biblical scholar. He drops this bomb and they would have just, they wouldn't, I can imagine they wouldn't be happy with it. The only people that possibly were happy with it at the time are the Pharisees and scribes. And they're essentially the lawyers of the text at the time. And I can imagine, as Jesus says, you have to be better or like a Pharisee and a scribe. They're kind of, yeah, we do. Yeah, that's right, Jesus. High five. I don't know if they're high fived in ancient Hebrew culture, but maybe there's a high five as I looked around and said, yeah, that's right. That's the, the, where the benchmark. And so Jesus sets this crazy benchmark. And then Jesus says this. Jesus would have seen them. He knows what they were thinking. And then he says this today. And you've got a Bible. There's Bibles on, in the front of you, should be, at the, at the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, find the nicest one in the row and take it home. That's yours. If you do have a Bible, then you can borrow it for today. But we're going to Matthew 5, 21 to 30. Matthew 5, 21 to 30. This is Jesus carrying on this sermon. Let me read. You have heard that it was said to those of old, 
You shall not murder. And ever, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the, uh, to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard. And you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. He says it again, you have heard that it was said, you shall now not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better, than you, better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better than you to lose one of your members than that of your whole body go to hell. A ton in that. Again, if you knew a lot of religious language, um, there's a lot we could pick out of it. But essentially, the part I want to pick out today, if I could put it in my own words, if that's okay. He stands up there and he looks at the people high-fiving or the people that are saying, oh, I'm not that bad, after he sets the benchmark, and he says, you think you're good. If you're giving a high-five right now, you probably think you're good because you haven't committed murder or mass murder. Well, he said, what's about in here? Is it anger? Is it hatred? Because you're also accountable to that. He might, and then he says, you think you're good because you haven't committed a sexual sin. Well, what's in here? What's your thought life like? You're accountable to that. You can imagine a high-fiving slows down. And there would have been a bit more silence in the crowd. It's like me saying, and I'm going to stereotype here if that's okay. It's like me saying, guys, you think you're good. Married men, you may have not have committed adultery. Or single guys, you may not sexually harass women. Then that's cool. Give me the last 40 years of your Google search history. Let me just go through it and we'll put it publicly up on the church and just have a look through it. It's like me saying that. And suddenly, maybe for some of you, if you're a man, there might be some of you go, oh, I'd rather not do that for the last 40 years. That's a long time. That's a lot of time to make some mistakes. God is talking about what's in here. Or ladies, and again, stereotyping, but maybe like, oh, well, I'm not nasty. I don't hate someone. I haven't killed someone. What about that sharp comment two weeks ago that you said to a friend about someone and it just came out and now you regret it? Again, there's these little things, these little behaviours. Or couples, maybe your Instagram marriage is on point. Maybe it's full of date nights, cute kids' pictures. Maybe you get comments going, you guys are awesome. What a hot dad. 
that's that's flooded on my Instagram. So I, it's a it's a it's a it's a problem. But maybe that's you. But you know that you called your wife that thing two weeks ago, and you hope the neighbours didn't hear. Or wife, husband. God's saying, what's in here? What's in here? Jesus seems pretty serious about this. This is his chance to preach, as I said, the longest unbroken sermon, and this is what he wants to talk to us about. There would have been critics in the crowd, there would have been disciples, people curious, and this is what he wants to communicate with them. I reckon, though, knowing the human condition... There would have still been people in the crowd going, oh, that's good, I'm pretty good too. My thought life has been impeccable. So maybe they're the only ones. They're not doing quite a loud high five, but they're kind of silently high fiving each other. They're still not taking this seriously. They say, seriously, Jesus, I don't think calling someone an idiot is the same as murdering them. And so maybe there's a chuckle from them. Then Jesus says this statement, which I reckon all of us would have pinpointed this as I read it. Because it's a massive jump. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, you moron, you idiot, whatever the word is, will be liable to the hell of fire. Escalates quickly. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Now the high-fiving stops, definitely. Now there's silence and now there's murmuring. Did he just reference someone calling someone else an idiot and then in the same sentence reference hell? And I want to stop here for a moment and talk about this word hell as we start to unpack what Jesus is saying. Because Christians do funny things with the word hell. The particular word for hell in this context is, um, and I'm, I'm going to pronounce it badly, Gehenna. And it's not used that many times. In fact, I couldn't find it many more times outside of this passage. Jesus, Gehenna is a place that is there right then. It's outside the city wall, and it's where the sick would be sent, not to get fixed, just because they didn't want him in town. And it was constantly burning with rubbish. It was not a great, you were exiled from the city if you are in Gehenna, if you are in hell. So this is in really, really important church. When Jesus says hell, we know he's referencing an eternal consequence for sure, definitely. But he's also referencing a place now as well. Hell can be eternal, but it can be also a place here now. Jesus is really clear in the intent by using that word. Just like the kingdom, which we spoke about last week, and if you weren't here last week, the kingdom of God is this vision statement Jesus uses, which is an eternal consequence where we get to live under the rule of our king in perfection. But it can be a way of living now, choosing to live under our king in a world of brokenness. Kingdom of God and hell are eternal consequence, but they can also be somewhere we find ourselves in in this life as well. 
Jesus is saying, if you think a simple name-calling exercise in anger or a simple lustful thought is just that, you are wrong. It breeds something. It's infecting something. It starts to fester and ultimately breeds death. It's the way of death and it leads to hell, this place of death. This is so important because if all we talk about as Christians is that ticket to heaven and hell, which is great, don't get me wrong, I want a ticket to heaven. You should have a ticket to heaven. Get to know Jesus, get a ticket to heaven. But if that's all we talk about in church, then we miss out on the depth in which Jesus has for us now. We miss out on what he has for us in 10 minutes from now. We miss out what he has for us Monday morning. We potentially miss out on the transformation God has for us today. We miss out on seeing that our thought life and the simple things like an off comment or an off thought or the things we meditate on, if left undealt, will actually affect us, change us and mould us until we're living in a worldly hell. If you're still not following me and you've ever been on YouTube, just have a look at the comments under a simple video on YouTube or social media today. Normally starts, that's nice, that's lovely, I hope you die. Like, it's that bad. Go, it's, when people gather together, they get critical and just watch it. And it's like an online hell. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It smells of death. It's a, sure, a simple example, but seriously, if you go online now and start looking at just when people gather in their brokenness, eventually it turns into some debate and it smells of death. It's gross. Some of the things people say to each other. We know schools are taught about cyberbullying now of this very issue but if i could sum it up if there's one point i could sum it up to jesus is saying we are broken no matter who you are no matter what you do the human condition is broken it's broken not just a little bit the bible says we're living in death without jesus Listen to these passages. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. James 1.15 For while in the flesh the sinful passions were aroused by the law were at work in the members of the body to bear fruit for death. How's that? You live in the spirit, you live in the kingdom of God, you serve the king, God, and you start to produce life, peace, patience, kindness. You walk in this way, you start to smell a bit like rot, and you start to produce death, destruction. Unfortunately, we live in a world where I don't have to convince you of this. Just look outside. A mate of mine said this recently when he swapped a couple of churches He's not here, to, he doesn't come to this church today, but he said, for a while, for a long time in my walk with God, I thought I was sick, had a cold, and I needed some medicine. Only recently, I realised I was dead and needed new life. The human condition isn't a sore toe, it's actually pretty unhealthy. So if you're new today, and you don't know Jesus... And if you struggle with the way I'm saying this, 
you at least can agree with me, you know the world is broken. You know deep down something is broken. And please, if you knew, you haven't walked into the most depressing sermon on the planet. We don't always talk about death and how broken we are, but we are this morning. We as Christians can talk about this because as we celebrated in communion, we know that it's been solved. We know the bridge has been gapped. We know that we can have life in Jesus. And so we're okay, we're talking about this. And it's so important to understand our position because then we know how we can react from it. If we don't know where we sit, if we don't know where our colleagues sit, then we don't know how we can react from it. And there's three reactions I want to talk about this morning. Three reactions upon, like the disciples or the critics sitting on the hill, how they would have reacted. Three different ways you can react this morning upon hearing this news that the human condition is broken. First reaction is just to ignore it. Get a bit defensive and go, I'm not, no, no, I'm not, no, no. (laughs) And you start acting like it's an audition. Oh, but I did this, I gave recently. I did this nice thing. And you start trying to earn yourself back. The Pharisees reacted like this. That's why they killed him. That's why he only got to do this for about three years because then they killed him. And then the Romans hunted the followers because they didn't like what they were hearing. They didn't want to admit that maybe they were broken. So that's the first way you can react upon hearing this news. Number two, you can have the ticket to heaven mentality. You can hear this and go, I need Jesus. Great, I'll take that and then don't pursue anything further. So it's kind of like you've got the, the path to death, the path to life, accept that, but I don't really want to walk that journey. It's kind of treating the grace as cheap. You still receive the grace, you're still saved. Jesus, the guy next to Jesus only called out to him and he was saved. But you can choose not to let Jesus conform you. The important thing about this, you may not know, is you're actually not standing still. In Romans 12.2, let me explain. Romans 12.2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Hear that? Do not be conformed. The problem is standing still. You are being conformed regardless. You're letting voices into your head. You're hearing from different people. You're developing different habits. You will be conformed. How bad this has gotten, how obvious this has got. A recent CEO, I read this only last night, a CEO of Facebook, not the CEO, sorry, one of the directors of Facebook recently resigned. Um, Not a conspiracy, just plain said this. He said, we are programming you. Not to, not for anything that sinister, but we're programming you. We're tapping into everything you like, giving you what you want. We are programming you. How's that? He just admitted it. Quit because of that. I think it was Jim Carrey. <laughs> Weird guy to mention in this, but he sold all his Facebook stock recently because he just said, they're, they're changing us. Social media has changed us. The things we look at is changing us. The things we let into our mind is transforming us. There's no such thing as standing still. Let me show you a diagram. I'm going to get a bit teach, school teachery on you right now. This is what a guy called Mark Cormart 
in America, Portland. He's doing some thinking around unintentional spiritual formation. And he says, we can't help ourselves have stories we believe, relationships and habits. And our whole environment starts to conform us. Let me give an example. If you're my generation, you're told you can do anything. You walk out of school with an OP of 25, you're still told, yeah, don't know, sign up for medicine school. You can do anything. We don't give kids, we don't tell kids they lose anymore. We give them multiple ribbons or good work stickers because they're told they can do anything. Um, Want to be an astronaut? Cool, you can do anything. And so if you're my generation, you've been told you can do anything you ever want. It's partly true. <laughs> you're awesome and you have unlimited choices. So that's the story, if you're like me, you grew up hearing. And then the relationships that speak into your life are mostly your work relationships. They're the ones that have to get real with you about your KPIs. And then they say to you, you have great potential. You should strive for the next level. Or maybe Instagram followers say you're awesome. You're so hot. Again, I've put the joke in here. I really like this one. You're a hot dad. I use that twice. So I hope it gets a lot. Oh, it didn't work as well. Okay, that's right. Um, I even put, I get that heaps. It's a weakness. Ha, 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 ha. Remember to laugh. Okay. And then your habits. You're looking at those comments on your phone, seeing if anyone has liked you. Or you're just working or you're just pursuing leisure. Whether you believe in any of this or not, you can see that this transforms you. Probably if you're hearing those stories, if you've got that community around you and you're developing those habits, you probably are going to start to sound like a pretty narcissistic person and you're going to be constantly wanting to be approved by people. And doesn't that scarily, scarily, eerily (laughs) sound like the planet Earth in 2018? Self-consumed, narcissistic society. Naturally, there's no such thing as being neutral in your transformation. And so as a Christian, or you believe, or you're curious about this Jesus guy and his teaching, the alternative is you sign up to God's transformation plan. I like to think, approach it like a gym. And it's Gold Coast, and so I know people have had good and bad experiences at a gym but let's just look at the essentials of what a gym is meant to be. No one walks into a gym and says, look at me, I am perfection, look at these muscles, look at these abs, look at my fitness, I just want to stand here for a while and just let you guys look at me. Now you sign up to a gym because even if you're fit, you think you could be fitter. You sign up for a gym because you want to get healthier. No one walks into a gym saying they've made it. That's the point of a gym. And so I can't approach this, God's grace, like this. You walk into this and say, I'm not perfect. I need help. There's, even if I'm a Christian, there's multiple areas in my life that God can transform. And you start from there. And so I have another teacheress picture for you. So the stories, the teaching you hear starts to change. The community around you, as we talked about last week, you still, you're in the world, you're talking to everyone, but you have a community like this that is telling a different story, that is encouraging you in a different way, and you make, you do habits, you practice. You start with 
the teaching, you're broken, but God has created you for something more. God has sacrificed himself for you. God has brought you back into your purpose, his purpose. That's the story you hear every Sunday. That's the story we gather around every Sunday. As we talked about last week, that's why we're here, to remember that. Then you meet with your community in a small group or Google group or any type of cool name group. And you have community. You share what's going on. I, our, if I can share this about our Google group. Lately, we've been sharing, we've been being able to reach this new level of where we don't sit there and go, how's your married life going? We'll go, good, good, good. We've been sharing how some of us have had three fights three minutes before we've got online. We've had to calm down, wipe the sweat off the brow and sit there and go, let's pray. It's awesome because we get to let God into that. It's awesome. That's what Christian community looks like, being real and honest and starting to talk and let God into that. And then our habits. As this starts to transform us, we're generous. We be a blessing to people. We're sacrificial. We do what Jesus did. It's effort, not earning. It's practice, not performing. We start to look a little bit more like Jesus and we start to sound a lot like life. We start to produce the fruit of Jesus. And you might say, okay, cool diagram, Steve. Nice theory. Good morning. You might start to think, oh, that's a cool idea. But does this link to the Bible? Absolutely. Have a look at the passage we just read. Let me skip through some passages. So Jesus says, You heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Kicking off there, Jesus says, You're broken. You need me. Accept me. Accept my salvation. Then what does he say? Set up a habit. Don't just leave that. Don't just stand in neutral transformation. Go to your brother and fix it. Go to your brother and ask for forgiveness. Ask to be forgiven. Forgive him because you've been forgiven. Love him or her because you've been first loved. Go develop a practice. It's transformative. And then the second passage, God, Jesus says, your mind's unwell and so in relationship with God and community and start to prune. He talks about gorging an eye out because he's making a statement, but no records show any disciple of Jesus that I know of gorging their eye out. He's not being literal here. He's saying, let people, let others, let God, people you trust, start to prune you. Start to cut. Th- One example for me, when I'm in social situations, when I'm around the table, gotten worse for me the last four years I start to preach like not a sermon on the gospel just I tell a start telling a story and before I know it in the span of 20 minutes I'm the only one that spent 80 minutes talking I need someone in my life trusted to say Steve someone I trust not everyone don't worry you don't need to sign up for this after I'll find someone thanks (laughs) to say Steve quiet be quiet And I've had someone in my life kind of hint on that and it hurt, but I love them and I know they love Jesus and I know they're doing it to help me. 
It stings. It's like gorging your eye out when someone goes, mate, just stop talking. You get to do it for 40 minutes every Sunday. We don't have to hear you today. He didn't say it like that. I took it like that because I was like, oh, I'm getting gorged out. But it's transformative, right? And I get to listen more and I get to look a bit more like Jesus in the next, the next conversation. The reason I bring all this up, the reason we've been talking about this the last two weeks, is these are probably the two most important things. Well, there's probably one more, three things that we are basing this community around. Last week, we gather. We gather around the gospel, who we are, the stories, and our identity. But straight off the back of that, as a community, the reason you're here today is we want to grow. Not grow in the ways of the world, but grow in the patterns of Jesus. We want to spend time with him. We want to be like him and we want to do the things he did as a follower of Jesus. And we want to breed life. That's foundationally what this church is about. We are going to grow. The little saying on our signs, following Jesus, transforming lives. And then lastly, we go. Gather, grow and go. That's why I want to spend some time this morning on our second service letting you know that we are not a church that you can attend, technically. If you come here, we want you to be the church. Actually, take that back. You can totally attend. You can come sit down front. But we're going to push you to be the church with us and grow and start producing life and start looking, as we talked about last week, the salt and light, the brightness and the taste in Burley Heads. So two quick, three quick applications. They're super simple. They'll just come up here if you're taking notes. Last slide, Miriam, if I put the last slide on there. Really simple. Church and the second service of this church plant, replant, service time. Let's seek God first. Let's know who we are in him. And church is more than church. And so if you're thinking about coming here, I don't know if you've been burnt from church or found church boring or you didn't get the point of church, this is the point of church. It's a disciplined Sunday morning to get up, get the kids ready, get them dressed and to remember what we're doing on this planet. To remember why we're not saved and then instantly teleported to heaven because we're here to grow and go and encourage each other. And so it's more than just, oh, do we have to go this morning? It's a discipline. People can't believe it. Have you noticed that? It's gone from, oh, you go to church, cool, to you do that. No, no, firstly, they go to your church, and then they can't believe the next question that wows them is that you do it every week. So set up that discipline. If you're new here, if you're considering making this your church, we'd love to see you as much as possible on a Sunday so we can gather with you, encourage with you, and go into the week. And the third thing, small groups. Um, we have a range of different ways we do this. Google groups, when I say Google groups, we actually meet online because me and the two families I meet with, there's no way we're getting all our kids past seven o'clock at night on a Wednesday night into my house and having a good rest of the week. They won't sleep. It, you, you understand. So we grow. Sign up to that if you want or get involved in a small group and let's encourage each other to live more like Jesus. Let me pray and I think, yeah, we haven't, the musicians are going to come up. We're going to play one more song and I'd love to connect with and talk more about this over morning tea. Let me pray.